everybody, and welcome to another episode of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have Alex Bush. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we have a special guest, and that's Eric Critchlow. Eric, do you want to say hello? Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, happy to be here and getting to talk about stuff I love to talk about. Heck yeah. Now, we did an interview uh, last month, is when it came out anyway, um, on the Clean Coders podcast because you have a series with them. And after chat, and I was like, we need you to come on the iFreak show. So uh, we got you here. Uh, we're going to get some stories. But before we do that, do you want to just tell people who you are? Um, yeah. And funny, it's a, like my mind is kind of in totally different places now, not even thinking about that part of it. But um, I live on the outskirts of Phoenix, uh, work professionally as a programmer. For the last 25 years, um, the last, I've been saying 10 forever, but I actually started in 2008. So we're really approaching the last 12 years, um, primarily in the mobile space, um, doing iOS development for that entire time. And then around 2012, I picked up Android development. So since then, I've been a number of places where I was the mobile guy just doing both. Um, and currently where I'm at, um, I actually came in as an, as an, the lead Android developer. And over the four years I've been there, that role has morphed and changed and twisted. And so now I'm the lead iOS guy, but also still the cross-platform guy. I'm not cross-platform. Oh, oh, I can't believe I said those words. Um, <laughs> Only multi-platform developer on the team. With Headspin, optimize your mobile user experiences 24-7 for any application running on any device and any network anywhere in the world. Their AI-powered analyses track user experience metrics and KPIs over time from cold and warm starts to errors, crashes, and response times, and audio and video quality to biometric responsiveness. Headspin will automatically surface issues and the root cause information you need to optimize user experience for your product or service, providing actionable insights end-to-end -end across applications, devices, and networks. With the world's first global device cloud that uses thousands of real SIM-enabled devices on actual carrier and Wi-Fi networks in hundreds of locations around the globe with 100% uptime, keep your mobile user experiences ahead of the pack and achieve mobile success with a unified proactive approach to testing, performance monitoring, and user experience analytics only with Headspin. Learn more at headspin.io. I was going to say, so you're the React Native guy. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely, <laughs> positively. Uh, if you'd seen my Twitter feed recently, I've been sharing as many stories as I can get about, uh, um, oh, some analytics group that's been posting about how little React really is being used in the apps on the App Store. Um, because oh, unfortunately, I'm starting to see more, more job postings as I've been kind of paying attention to what's going on out there. Um, more job postings looking for a React Native, and to my great surprise, a few actually looking for Xamarin, which blows oh, wow. me away. But uh, right. yes, I'm pushing back as hard as I personally can uh, against the cross-platform stuff. All right, Eric, we just met, but we're going to be friends. I already know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the guy that co-hosts the React Native podcast. So. Oh, oh, there's strike one. Oh, man, I didn't even know that. Uh, we might have to end here. Yeah, I'm not on the .NET podcast, though, so you can forgive that. Okay, that, that would be yeah, pretty close to unforgivable. Okay, you know what? I say that, and there was a time when I first learned Android, I was at a company that was 
a, a strong Microsoft partner, like a top five Microsoft partner, mm-hmm. and Windows Mobile, is that what it, uh, whatever it yeah. was called, um, they were still pushing it. And so the company I was working for was pushing it because they're a big Microsoft partner. And I started to learn it because I had learned C Sharp and .NET uh, back in 2010. So here in 2012, I'm like, okay, I, I can learn that platform too. And I would have had it stuck around. But, um, but Xamarin, no, no. I, I went, the company sent us to Xamarin training one day um, at, the local, at the local Microsoft office with a couple of Microsoft employees who were professionals at this. And in a room of about 60-ish people, the first hour was spent trying to get everyone's development environment actually working. An hour in, at the start, about 50% got in, no problem, work and running. Of the 50% that had problems, they spent an hour trying to get those people working. And of that 50%, 50% of those, an hour in, they still could not get the development environment running. Oh, so man. 25% of the people in that room had to look at someone else's screen when the two professionals in Xamarin gave their demos because they couldn't get 25% of the machines to work in the environment. I bet they had Windows machines. Oh, man. Um, some had Macs. I, I don't know how many had. I'm sure some had Windows, but some of those people had Macs. And, and, and it was, it was hit. You, there was no rhyme or reason as to which machines didn't work or why. And they couldn't figure it out. Like, yeah, this is really an environment I want to work in. <laughs> yeah, I have plenty of friends that do Xamarin. I have a bunch of friends that do React Native. Um, it's it's always interesting to see what people care about. So plenty that do Xamarin. I really didn't think there were that many shops out there using it. Um, I have gone to Microsoft Build for the last five years. Uh, Microsoft has brought me out and set me up with podcast interviews. Uh, I've done Ignite a few years, Connect a couple of years. So yeah, so I, I've talked, I talked to people across all the different things. Hmm. So yeah. And, and there, there's a healthy contingent of people that do it. One of my neighbors is the CTO at a company that builds games in Xamarin. Oh my goodness. Yep. I so. never would have expected, especially games. But anyway, we're, we're going to talk about you building apps and not in Xamarin apparently. <laughs> so you've built your own indie app and apparently there's quite the story behind it. So uh, do you want, first of all, do you want to just kind of tell people what the app is and what it does? And then we'll dive into where it came from and how it, you know, how it evolved and what you learned and all that good stuff. So now I've I've built several indie apps and I'm always, I've got a list of the, in fact, I've got projects on the, on the laptop right now that that I just started the project because this is number three on the list. I'm going to get to it. And some of those projects have been there for well over a year. Maybe one day I'll get to them. Um, But the primary, uh, I was going to say app and I don't know if this is just me and I've never really asked anybody, but, and I know I get off on tangents here, but I, I, I'll remember the question to get back to it in like 30 seconds. Um, I guess to me, app, the term app didn't come around until the iPhone. And prior to that, it was application. So when I'm talking about like a computer application, I try not to abbreviate it to app. And when I talk about a mobile application, I try to make sure I say app and then I catch myself and I get all mm-hmm. tongue tied. Um, but this application started out on Mac OS X. Um, back when uh, I was well, married now, but back when I was married previously, the, the wife, we had three kids, hers, mine, and ours. 
And when it would be October, November, we would start prepping for Christmas and start buying presents. And she's really, yeah, I don't want to say the word anal because, you know, we get along and that's a negative term, but anal about um, making sure that each of the kids had the same number of presents and that about the same amount of money was spent on each. So as the weeks from October to December went by, I would see her with her pad of paper several sheets deep as she had rewritten her, her, her list, which is three columns, one for each kid, um, with, with these gifts in it and things scratched out and arrows moving it over from place to place because, oh, this kid has 17 gifts and that one only has 13, so I can move this one over. That's a, a present that would apply to Haley just as much as it would apply to Tyler. So we'll make that one Haley's and, and you know, dollar signs, buy them and, and tallies of how much has been spent on each kid. And again, going after sheet of sheet of paper and I'm looking at her like, you, you know that I'm a programmer, right? And, and computers are kind of made for this kind of thing. Um, so I set up on myself to write a program that would do that, that would manage that for her. Um, and you could do the same thing with spreadsheets and things, but I mean, some I, I was going to say, I'm the guy that maintains my wife's spreadsheet for exactly, exactly the same thing. And if you do, a, if you're really good at Excel or whatever spreadsheet, then you could probably customize it and write some custom code or run it to do a lot of what you want to do. But for me, I'm, I'm not that adept at, at, at being very good at Excel. So I'm just going to write an application. Oh, I'd rather have an app. How do you add another row, please? Can you add like three rows? Okay, take that one out. Same. I don't want to maintain that. Yeah, right. So I wrote this application for, um, put everything into it. I remember how long it took because this was back in like 2003, uh, maybe even a, a year or two before that, and finished it and, and tested it out myself and said, hey, this does, this does the stuff that she does and it's a lot easier. And I proudly went and handed it to her and said, here, now try this. And she, she tried it out. She used it for a little bit, came back and said, yeah, I still prefer my pad and paper. That might very well be why we're no longer together. <laughs> okay. But we eventually did end up not together. And at that point, I, I had myself and my two daughters. And so when Christmas would roll around, I used the, this program that I'd written. And I, I mentioned the name, have my Giftery, Gift Repository. Um, but I would use Giftery and I used it for years. And I would be able to track. I could go back and tell you, well, how much do you spend on these kids? Oh, well, last year I spent... 350 on this one and 450 on that one in the year before and two years ago. And have you ever gotten them this present before? Oh yeah, I got that present back and such and such. And, and I could switch things around of who's giving who what and which one am I giving things to? And then, you know, tap of a, of a mouse click, I'm, I'm moving things around and I'm, I put budgeting in it and I, and I it added features as the years went by and I put it out there as freeware. And on a few occasions, um, publications like magazines would contact me, hey, can we put this on our freeware disc that's going out with next month's or, you know, our magazine in three months or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, great. Awesome. I, I just love having stuff out there because mm -hmm. because of where I came from, which Charles, you and I have talked about before. Maybe we'll get to today, but my history of, of how I got into computers, period, and, and into programming, I just love having people use my stuff, especially when they come back and say, I love that program. So yeah. Absolutely. Now, somewhere along the lines, around Mac OS 10.4, um, they came out with some new developer technologies. Um, and I think they came out in the same year, um, Bindings and Core Data. And I looked at that and said, my goodness, for what I'm doing, both of these technologies are custom made for me. 
And the way I'm doing it now, because I'm not, you, I'm not even using a database to store this stuff. Um, I hated dealing with databases. Is is horrible in comparison. I've got to rewrite this thing from scratch. And of course, every programmer wants to do is rewrite a program project from scratch, even their own. And oh I'm, yeah, no. I, have a, I have a good reason. I got to rewrite this from scratch using these technologies, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make it good enough to sell. Uh, and so I did that. Um, I remember how long it took, but I spent a, a quite a while rewriting it from scratch, adding features, even talking to people. Well, you know, what what do you think this should have in it? And I got done with it, and and, and this goes to my um, ultimate optimism, I guess, and maybe delusion. But when I finished, I just had this, like the day that I was done, I had this calm settle over me of, that's it. I'm done. This is it. And I had visions in my head of, I'm going to put this out there, and maybe Apple will add it to the iLife suite, or maybe I'll get it in the stores because somebody's going to see it. I'm selling it online. You know, there was no Mac app store back then or anything like that. You just had websites you put freeware versions of, of stuff out in, and then you had a, a buy link in your, in your program, and people could go and pay you through some third-party vendor. Um, but I'm going to get this out. It there. all sounds so weird now, right? It's yes, like, it does. Yeah, back, back before core data and <laughs> Yes, this is a long time. And I've gotten so used to the app store now. I mean, I remember when there wasn't one, but I've gotten so used to it now that it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember doing that. And especially, how did anybody sell anything before that? Yeah. Um, But I was just, I was, I was sure. And I had sent, you know, there were. This was before the days of Facebook and things. So, but I think I sent an email out to like all my friends and family, all the people who you know backed me up, supported me, and encouraged me, and like. Hey, folks, I'm done. This is it. This is the moment. Everything changes from here. And in my head, I had these, these magical numbers set, like, this is going to pay the house off. Uh, okay, okay, what, what might actually happen? Like, well, if I don't, if I don't sell 5,000 units at like 20 bucks a pop, that's a failure. Anything under 5,000 units is, is going to be a failure. But I'm really thinking this thing's going to pay the house off. I, there's a, a company, and I can't remember the name of it now, that does press releases just to the, the Mac world. Because uh, there's a company that does it for, for, for software companies to like the Windows world. And that's a much bigger thing and more expensive. But I just went with the one for the Mac folks and put a press release out and, and tried a couple of other little marketing kind of things that I thought and got it out there. And I set my goal at 5,000. And if I hit fifth, in fact, dude, I didn't even come close to 50, much less 5,000. Um, tremendously discouraged. Uh, and although we'll see later on when the Mac app store did come around, I retooled it for the Mac app store and did a little better, but still not even close to 500, much less 5,000. So, uh, at that point, I, angry, resentful. And I and if we talk about my history later on, I'll kind of segue into, into why I, what I, why I had expectations I did and why I was so resentful, but I'm like, you know, these, these Mac people forget them. They, they complain about stupid stuff. They want things just perfectly the way they want. They want to be able to customize things. I'm, you know what? Forget them. I'm going to the Windows world because those I've seen some of that software. Those people just care that it works. If it gets something done they want done, it doesn't matter how ugly it looks to them. They'll use it. I'm going there. And I spent the year of 2010 <laughs> buying the thickest programming book I ever bought in C Sharp and in, in .NET 4.5, I think, learning Windows development from scratch and spent that whole year writing it from scratch for Windows. When I was done at the end of the year, um, I didn't have the money to promote it really. So I'm like, what do I do here? Well, Windows folks, they go to shareware sites, they download shareware and then they upgrade. You know, that, that I, can, I can count on Windows folks for that. So I put it on all these shareware sites. 
never sold a single copy. Oh, wow. One whole year of my life in, in learning a new language and a new framework on a, on a different platform, wasted. And you would think, I have people telling me you know, that it's, it's not the right idea. It move on to something else. And to this day, and we're in 2020, I'm talking 2003 to 2010, I still won't because I, in, in, it's, it's my baby. And deep inside, I still feel like it is a great idea. And if it only got in front of the right people, they would love it. And occasionally someone does say, I love this. And that's enough to keep me going. So eventually I did bring it to the iPad, you know, to bring it to the, the topic of, of this podcast. Um, I brought it out on the iPad, put it out there, uh, dropped the price to like $4.99. Um, sold a decent number of copies. I don't remember if it was the iPad for a Mac OS 10 when the Mac app store came out and it was a top 10 application in its category, but its category was like home and leisure, which is not a very big category. Right. So even selling, you know, three units a day was enough to put it in the top 10. Uh, so it, 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 for the amount of time and effort I spent on it, it has been a complete failure by any measure whatsoever, but it's still my baby. I still work on it. And even though it's not on the store right now, it is still sitting there waiting for me to get back to it and update it for the latest version of iOS or iPad OS since it's iPad and Mac OS 10 or Mac OS and get it back out there again. That's quite a story. I know. I'm sitting here going, where, where, where do I start <laughs> with my questions? I, it's my favorite. So I love it. it, it I love talking about my tremendous failure more than anything else because it's still my baby. Yeah. I'm curious, Alex, do you have... Uh, uh, an app that you've so that's kept alive that way? That's the funny part. Now I think about it. I've been doing iOS development for quite some time too now. Maybe, I mean, less than you, Eric, but still maybe like eight, nine years. I never built an app for myself. I, hmm. <laughs> I was always a, a, what is it? A freelancer gone for hire, I guess, and build it for everyone else but myself. Hmm. I have to have a, a me project at all times. Yeah, I do freelance stuff too, but now there's, and, and I've got, you know, like I said, I've got a, a line of stuff that I'm, okay, this year I'm going to finally get to this. And, and there's an Apple TV app. Actually, there's something that crosses between Apple TV and Mac and iPad and iPhone, maybe even Apple Watch that I want to get to this year. Yeah, Knowing that the odds of su tremendous success are still incredibly slim, but it's, if I'm ever going to strike it big, it's, I, I'm not going to be an inventor. Um, I'm never going to strike it rich working for whatever corporation I'm working for. The only shot I've really got is to, to keep throwing those ideas out there and come up with something. You know, and I take solace from stories like the guys who did Angry Birds. I'm like, oh, they had done, I forget what the number is now, 40-something, 50-something games before Angry Birds. And they were about to like finally give up on it. And then they did Angry Birds. Boom. So, yeah, you know how many swings you got to take before you hit that home run. Yep. Yeah, so my... My white whale, so to speak, is uh, I, so I've got a, a podcast management app and it's got pretty much all the features I need to move the podcast management over to it, but it's just not quite there. <laughs> and so I just not quite released it yet. And I've, I've paid people to help me work on it and, you know, because it, it fits into the business here. And yeah. How long has it been just not quite there? <laughs> oh. Yes. A year, mm -hmm. yeah. and and I, you know, I still bang on it, and I still got somebody else banging on it. I just need to. I mean, honestly, if I had a month of just concerted effort, I could probably get it over the hump and get the podcasts moved onto it and have it running most of the podcast network. It wouldn't be perfect, 
but it would it would be a far sight better than what we've got now because we've cobbled together a bunch of other tools. And it'd be yours, your yeah. baby. So yeah. do you, Chuck, do you think uh, early adopters would help with feedback? <sighs> Maybe, but there are now a few other competitors out there. Like when I started on it, there was nothing. And so, yeah, I might be able to get some early adopters just that are out there that are in my community that want to support my app. But that's who it would be. You know, still some feedback though. Yeah, I know a lot of people in the podcasting community, but. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Oh, so, anyway. I think you have to have something that, that you like um, yep. and, and it's like your passion. And, and yes, a gift management system wasn't my passion until I actually worked on it. And then I kind of took ownership of it. So yeah, there are other things. Um, and, and I guess the, the ideas that I have out there, the ones that I hope actually make money aren't necessarily my passions, but I believe in them for one reason or another. You know, I, I had a, a LinkedIn post uh, a while back and the title of it, since I like to try to do catchy kind of things is you down with OPC playing off of you down with OPP song from a number of years ago and OPC is other people's content. And mm -hmm. my thinking being, if you're not big corporation X um, that has a lot uh, that has your own assets that you can be a game company that's got all your, you know, you can produce all the graphics and sounds and the millions of dollars nowadays, they pour into the assets that go into these games. If you're not the music studio that owns this library of music, if you're not Best Buy that, although they don't own it, they sell it. But you know, mm -hmm. if you're not Sony that produces all of this stuff that you sell, your path has to be working with other people's content. I mean, what made iTunes big? iTunes didn't own any music back in the day, certainly didn't own any movies or other content. They took other people's content and, and, and did something useful with it. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon, you know, early on, they took other people's products and did something useful with it. So my focus now is on what other people's content can I do something useful with? And I think I've settled on the shopping space. Because, yeah, you can go to Amazon. I don't think it's the best app in the world. Um, no. Anybody else's website, a lot of them are web apps and, and not really well done. Um, and there's, I, when I've looked, and it's been a little while, I haven't really seen something that people try to optimize the buying experience. How can we get you to hit that buy button as quickly as possible and get through the purchase? And I'm like, okay, but there's a lot of people out there who just want to shop. Um, you know, people used to go to shopping malls just to walk around and look, and maybe they might buy something. And a lot of those people now don't even go to shopping malls anymore, but, and they sit on their phone and browse stuff, but they're not necessarily looking to buy, they're looking to shop. And so I'm like wanting to optimize the shopping experience on, on the, on the device, you know, the Apple TV, the phone, the pad, even the desktop and, but not just limit you to 
Amazon's um, output or what you know what they make available because you know a lot of these places have an API. So if you want to pull down their list of products, you can get access. The Best Buy will give you access to their APIs and pull down their products and descriptions and everything. But again, nobody's presenting it in a in a way that I think optimizes the shopping experience and just makes it fun. So that's the thing I've been like trying to target for a few years now. You know, every time I see the retail apocalypse and this store is going out of business and that store is closing down. And I'm like, I can save you. <laughs> I make your, make your, make some APIs available online. I can get to your catalog and I can come up with something people will flock to and love because it's a great experience that's not out there right now. Do you, do you think that's actually a, an interesting kind of segue? Cause, cause I, um, I thought about it too, not specifically about uh, retail and shopping experience, but web apps experience versus native apps experience. Mm -hmm. And now seems like with iOS 13, we might get, I'm not saying it's going to be better, but probably more developers are going to be making Mac apps. So I'm expecting uh, way more different offerings of Mac applications, right? Uh, native Mac, Mac applications, right? And, for example, I know when Swift UI was announced, I think on WWDC, they showed an example of, I think, Twitter client, which is out now. It's pretty decent. I like it. But then also uh, Atlassian's uh, Jira being a native Mac app. So that's the kind of stuff I'm excited about because, yes, the, the, the web app they have is great, right? But then if it's a native Mac experience, it's way better. So what I wonder if like Facebooks of the world will actually also create eventually, hopefully, Mac apps, because I can see it's actually being way more advantageous for them to have a Mac app because on a Mac app, you cannot have an ad blocker, unlike on the web, right? <laughs> right. So they control the entire experience. So to me, I don't understand why they're not jumping on this. I guess um, the download part may be the only obstacle, but come on. <laughs> So there's a part of me that looks at that technology. Honestly, I can't even remember the name of the technology, but there's a part of me that looks at that technology and thinks that it's almost like React Native, almost like the cross-platform stuff. I'm like, no. What, Electron? I, what's that? Are you talking about Electron? Um, whatever that technology that I introduced is, is going to let iOS developers bring stuff to the Mac. Oh, oh okay. the, the Swift UI, what is it? The Catalyst? No. Catalyst, yeah, I think. Uh, Catalyst, yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. So, yeah and oh, you know, this is going to make it easy for you to, to, to develop on, the, on iOS and bring it over to the Mac. And I'm just like, no, I know how to write Mac OS 10 apps. I Mac OS 10, Mac OS apps. And I'll just write the dang thing natively. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe, maybe uh, when, it, when it's the same platform owner, um, I'll get that whole bad taste for quote-unquote cross-platform out of my mouth and, and actually give it a try. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm also, uh, I'm with you there, right? Like, I I'm, don't think uh, cross-platform apps will have the best experience ever. But it's almost like it's better to have that than a bunch of Electron apps, like slacks of the world that just, <laughs> just, just kill me. <laughs> So like yeah, I, launch, I launched that app and then all of my CPUs, everything just sucked <laughs> in and consumed. Come on. I was going to say the experience of the Slack app doesn't bother me much. 
the memory usage on my Mac, yeah, not so much. Yeah, I, I periodically talk about the fact that I'm like, how much, how much more advanced has Microsoft Word gotten over the last 20 years versus how much more memory and how much more processing powers computers have gotten, and yet it doesn't run any faster? Yeah. What programmers, and I, I'm one of them, and I, as I like to say, I'm, I'm loath to criticize other programmers, unless I'm one of the group, and I'll do that all day. We, and myself included, have become much lazier. It just had to me, I'm just thinking that has to be the case. Otherwise, if we optimize the way we did back in the days when we had to, because we were dealing with 8-bit computers with limited memory or mm -hmm. CPUs that didn't have multi-cores or whatever, we optimize like we did back in the day, software would run a lot more smoothly than it does today. Yeah. I also want to say on the Mac Catalyst point, um, if the way we use the Mac becomes much more in line with the way we use iOS, then it starts to make more sense. But I use my, my Mac differently than I use my, True. my phone and my True. iPad. So I've never even used the Twitter client on the Mac. I don't use the Slack uh, application on the Mac. I, I do. I do some. I do better web browsing because I've got a full screen. I do Xcode and Android Studio, and word processing. Um, yeah, maybe some video stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a, a, a key set of things I do on the computer that I don't do on the phone, and I don't do the things on the computer that I do on the phone. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I do different things on my phone than I do on my computer. Yeah, and nowadays, a computer really exists to facilitate what I do. <laughs> and the last Mac OS X app I wrote was the very first uh, native Swift Mac OS um, program that I wrote. And it was a game board slash sprite editor that I developed to support the game that I wrote and released on iOS. So how was it kind of working with um, Swift on Mac that, you know, that early? I think they've had way even more issues than on iOS, right? Um, I, I didn't think it was problematic. I had, I had been working with Swift for the year or two prior to that because um, um, a, a guy reached out to me. We talked about doing uh, you know, freelance stuff. A guy who I had done some work for at a previous company of his reached out to me and said, hey, I've got this, this, this um, iOS app that... We need to get done, and the guy who was working on it left. Can you can you come finish it? I'm like, if there's money involved, sure I can do that. Uh, oh, but by the way, it's in Swift. I don't know the first thing about Swift. It's all right. You can learn it as you go. Root. You're gonna pay me to learn Swift as I absolutely yes, I'll take that. And so I you know I took that on, and unfortunately that I looked like it was probably his first Swift program and his first iOS program because it was not well done at all. So it wasn't the best intro to Swift. But then at my job uh, a guy was developing a swift app and he left the company and i inherited that and so between those two things i just kind of learned swift as i went along and, and a year or so in i'm thinking you don't really know swift you just know enough to work on these code bases why don't you actually learn the, the language so I, I finally did read apple's book on it and you know cover to cover so i actually understood the language and it was after that that i went and developed that uh, Mac OS X game board slash sprite editor, and and it it was it was a joy to work with. I like okay because I had I had avoided the language you know for the first couple of years. I'm like oh, I don't want to deal with that. I love Objective C. Objective C is great. 
Um, but I, I, I did enjoy de developing that project and probably will, maybe I'll do more on it if, if I you know, choose to, to do some more of the game or use it to develop some future games. It'd be kind of a, a sad thing to spend all that time and effort on writing a tool that just ended up getting used for a single game. I uh, resisted Swift for the first couple of years as well. Uh, then I started to appreciate it, especially when I joined bigger teams and when the compiler would slap people hmm. on, on the wrist, right, and not let them do bad things. I'm like, oh, okay, that's a good thing. I like that. I don't have to do it in my code reviews. Uh, unfortunately, lately, uh, a, a number of my social media posts have been about the direction Swift's going in and, and me saying, oh man, this is starting to get dangerously close to, to C++ territory. Because it really was, I learned C++ or I read a couple of books on C++ and kind of learned it late 90s, I think, and only used it at like one or two companies I ever worked at. But for the majority of the last two decades, I have um, ardently told people, there's only one language I know that I hate, and that's object I'm not objective, and that's C++. And it was only about a year ago that I actually just sat back for a second and thought about it. Like, no, that isn't true at all. I remember when I first read those books, I thought C++ was the greatest thing since sliced bread. C++ is great. It's the way people use it that I hate. And Swift um, is kind of, for me, going in that direction. Some, um, somebody who, he's, he's formerly a Twitter guy, and I can't think of what his name is right now, but he had a post on Twitter about two to three weeks ago comparing um, oh, some kind of rappers around uh, Swift properties, like Swift property rappers or something they called it, um, where you kind of do this annotation and it, it keeps you from having to write the get and set on properties and it's in the, the guy who was promoting it said, Hey, look, here's the before and here's the after. And, and here's, I don't have to write that boilerplate, get set code anymore in Swift. Um, and, and this guy, the guy who used to be at Twitter, his post was, yeah, you know what? I don't know that that's actually a, a better after than it was the before. And then there was a, a long thread of people because he's got a bunch of followers, um, uh, comparing and debating. And I kind of see this debate going on, uh, and occasionally in the in the realm of iOS development social circles out there um, and Swift is going in the direction not just going it, even from the beginning one of my problems with it as much as I love using it because I love how I use it one of my problems with it is they got too cute with it you know they added shortcuts in that oh um, you've got this this method that takes um, two variable, two parameters, they're both integers, and it does something with them and returns the result. Well, because the compiler can infer the types of the parameters, you can remove the entire declaration, so you take that out, and because the, the entire body of the method is only one line and it does a return, you can take the return out, and your entire function body can just be the the code the one line of code that that produces that result and and hey isn't this great we've saved keystrokes no it's not great um depending on what 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 that function is a bunch of programmers a bunch of average Joe programmers are going to come into a project see that and not have a clue what it does um and one of the things i read a couple times now and, and related to this twitter post i was talking about is someone made the point 
Code is more, much more intended to be read than written. So we need to be optimizing for the ease of reading code, not for the not optimizing for, hey, we can reduce a few keystrokes. Ooh, look at how cool and, and, and cute this is. And so I, I and I hate the fact that they did that with Swift. I hate the fact that they add those shortcuts. The thing I love about Ejective C is how verbose it was that you would have these huge lines of you're 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 creating a, an HTTP request and you're building your URL and it's string by appending string, string by appending string because you're having to add the pieces of the URL onto it. And these really long lines, but you could read that like like English, like a book, and know exactly what it was doing. And Swift has gotten away from that because they so much want to be cute and save you know save typing and cut out cutting out boilerplate code is is great, but not cutting out stuff that makes things more readable and understandable. Uh, and, and I see that in Swift. I, I see that in the origins of Swift and I see it in directions it's going and like this, these property wrappers and in making stuff that if you want to develop your own stuff at, in your own indie projects at home and you use every last little shortcut the language offers, more power to you. But if you work in a group with other people and someone's going to have to come after you and, and, and read this code, don't do it. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine and it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. This is such an underappreciated point in our community. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's something you learn with experience. That's exactly what you said, Eric. Uh, the the code is meant to be. It's going to be read more times than written. Right. Read it once, people are going to read it ten times, twenty, thirty, like and more. Right. And you yourself coming back to it to understand what the heck is it even does, you reread it again. So make it easier for yourself, make it easy for other people, make it readable, explicit. Yeah, extra keystrokes, your finger's not gonna fall off if you <laughs> do that. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I have similar frustration with shortcuts, I guess. They're sort of, to, to be devil's advocate, they're, they're way, uh, like there is automatic inferring of types in Swift, but you could be explicit. You could actually like, you just extend it and state things explicitly. But then, yeah, a lot of people, especially junior devs, they won't do it. They're just like, oh, I want to chip it fast. Let's knock it, you know, like knock it out ASAP. I've seen senior guys do this. Where I'm at now. Um, so we had one of the iOS dev leads solid developer, years of experience. He knows iOS, he can write Swift. He wrote this app. 
And we had a, a contractor come in later on. And I mean, I know the guy, he is one of, I personally think he's one of the top iOS and top Swift guys in town, incredibly sharp. Um, he was given that project and, and it needed to be, you know, Swift keeps getting updated. And so we needed to, to update the, the code to match the latest Swift. I uh, said, so I'm going to update this and, and do some refactoring because this isn't the best Swift code. When he was done, the original guy, mind you, a senior iOS dev who I personally think is very good, looked at that, that refactored code and said, I, I have no idea what this does. I can't even read. I, nothing. And the, the contractor, I still to this day, this was two years ago now, I think I still mess with him about it. And he's like, oh, it's, and he's, just, he's just being a, um, a priss about the whole thing. It is not really that bad. And I'm, think, I'm like, no, you failed. If, if you, if you, even if you know the language better than anybody, you go and make it the, the most efficient code in history. If even senior devs look at that and they can't understand what you did, that's a fail. Eric, that, that's a, that's a job security though. <laughs> right there. <laughs> I've, I've heard people say that and it ticks me off. <laughs> you were, you're a contractor. You knew you were going to move on soon. You weren't trying to secure job security. Yeah, it ticks me off because then it's, um, I'm going to make it harder on everyone else just for my own benefit, the, the job security argument. No, nah, I mean, I'm joking, right? It's I know, but, but I've heard people say it in all seriousness. Well, then they can't fire me. And I'm oh, like, yeah. are, are you kidding? That's out there. No, I would. Out there. But the, I mean, in this guy, it wasn't his motivation. But when I no, brought up to him, his thing was, well, guys should be better Swift programmers. That's going to push guys to, to learn Swift better. Like, but that's not your job. If, if, the, if the director of development at the company says, I want a bunch of A plus Swift developers, and so I want to make these guys, you know, learn the ins and outs of the language, then that person, you know, they, they know what their people's time is budgeted to do. And if they want to make them learn and be, yeah. be that great, hey, all more power to you. But if you're just one of the guys on the team, you don't get to make the decision. I'm going to push the rest of the team to, be, to have to learn more and be better programmers and, and take up their time doing it and slow them down and they work doing it. That's not your role. That's actually interesting. That's a sort of a question of consistency too, if you think about it, right? If uh, the code was written in a certain fashion, certain style throughout the code base, someone new coming in, uh, you know, probably they shouldn't introduce all of those shortcuts and new swifty way or something but then at the same time you can't stagnate right and like keep writing it the way you were doing it all this time you also need to evolve and move forward so it's a hard balance i guess to strike and i have to admit i i push back against coding standards because i hate having anybody tell me how to write code and <laughs> I don't care to tell people how to write theirs um, and it's been said to me, you, know, you, you, you might be a good developer, but you're not the greatest um, group developer, the greatest teammate. And I'm like, well, hey, I, I want people to develop how, they, you know, how they're comfortable developing. But yeah, no, I'm not really one much for let's develop a set of group standards and, and apply them. So I think I, I've, I've been much happier in the roles I've been in where I'm the guy that writes this app and I can write it the way I want. Um, yeah, there's, there's NIH, not invented here syndrome that we talk about some developers and some, some companies having. Um, I, I fully have to admit that I, quote unquote, suffer from NIBM, not invented by me syndrome. 
Um, I don't want to use third party libraries. I don't want to use whatever. I, if it's not the, if it's not the, 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 the standard frameworks provided by the platform holder, Apple or Google, I want to write it myself. You know, I don't use AF networking to do networking calls. I wrote my own frameworks for that. Um, See, Eric, I'm on like a completely opposite spectrum. I don't want to write that stuff. Just uh, like, that's too much work. It was figured out for me. Just give, let me, let me give, give me that Lego block to plug in. And I'll move on to whatever next feature I'm building. And you mentioned Lego blocks, and I sometimes use that. And that that is part of an analogy. I just don't. One it makes me feel like I didn't write the whole thing. Like I don't own the whole thing because somebody else wrote a very significant part of it for me Two, I don't really like, I like to, to work with APIs that work the way I think they should work. I guess if I found a third party library and I'm like, that's exactly how I would have written it. I would probably use that and be happy to use it. But like when I see AF network and the way we've used it, or when I see, especially on the Android side, retrofit, which is the, the, the de facto standard over there, I look at retrofit and I'm like, I hate the way this works. I, yes, it is the de facto standard. Yes, it gets the job done. I have absolutely zero desire. Uh-oh, the child just realized that I'm in the room. Um, <laughs> I have zero desire to adapt my way of development to the API style, the, the architectural style that this third party said, this is what you're gonna have to do to use our stuff. I, I kind of go back and forth on it a little bit. Um, and, and the reason, I, I think there's a counter argument to it, but I think there's a balance somewhere in the middle. And one is, is yes, write code the way that makes sense to you. But the flip side is, is that other people are going to have to maintain the code. And so you have to write it in a way that people expect it to be written as well so that they can look at it and, you know, pick up on the patterns that you're going to use in order to communicate what the code does. So, yeah, I, 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 I kind of see both ways. I mean, there are some idioms that you use in Swift or in Objective-C or in any other language that are just the way that people do things, and you're much better off writing your code that way. But that's not to say that's the most expressive way to do it, and so if you have a better way to do it, I think you should. So some of some of those things are also wrong, like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes there's a better like, way to do it. Seriously, like objectively, right? Like extensions in Swift, the way they're used in the community today, which is the conv conventional way to go about it, is to group private and protocol implementation, private uh, methods and protocol implementations. That is a very bad way to go about it and use metaprogramming just for stylistic grouping, but everyone does it and everyone expects it. That's just, what the hell? Yeah, I think my way of, of, of looking at it kind of goes hand in hand with another aspect of how I do development. And, and I you know, alluded to it before. Um, and the, the way I usually describe it to people is when, when I learn a language, when I'm wanting to learn Swift or C++ or whatever language or some new framework, .NET or whatever it was, um, I read the whole book because it's good to understand yeah. what the framework or language offers. And sometimes you need some of the esoteric bits of it. So yeah, I read the entire book, try to make sure I understand it. But when I develop, especially when I develop in, in a corporate environment where other people are going to have to own this code at some point, I develop from the first third of the book, the, the basic concepts. I, I don't, or I try not to use the advanced concepts unless they're absolutely necessary. So I am always comfortable that 
average Joe developer um, and where I work at, we hire a lot of recent college grads and some like the, the, the Android team I first got handed had zero experience in Android. They learned as they went along. Um, but I had no doubt that they could jump into the code that I write and instantly, if they just read the, just finished reading the book on Android or, or took some online course in it and barely even know, you know, the, mm -hmm. the how, how Android apps are written, what the framework's like and all that, um, they could still jump into my code and understand it because I, I try to write simple code. Um, so even if I am writing stuff that, that uses my own, you know, framework that I created, the API is dead simple and you can understand it. And, and so I don't worry about um, um, handcuffing or hampering the guys that come after me. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that is really important. I like the philosophy mainly because it's something that I harp on over and over and over again with people. And that is, is that a lot of people get all kinds of tied up around what skills do I need to be as successful as a programmer? Um, I have a brother and a cousin that are both going through CS programs. They asked me that, right? It's like, you know, what skills am I learning that I need to know? And I was like, okay, sit down. You ready? Here's the skill you got to have. You've got to be able to work with other people. And that includes communication, right? I mean, beyond your basic tech skills, right? Can you do the dang job, right? right. Have you read the Android book, right? Can you write Android code? Beyond that, you know, or Swift in this case, right? Yeah. Do you communicate well? Do you work well with other people? Are they happy to have you around? Um, because anymore, we're writing software in groups. We're writing software in teams. And if you can't work with other people, then it's not going to work. And so your approach, and this is why I like it, where it's, look, everything is simple enough and based on the standard Android stuff or the standard iOS stuff to the point where somebody who just read the book can do it. That's, that's communication style that works and it makes it easy to work with the entire team. And as long as you have people who, yeah, who, who agree with that, who understand and, and who don't try to run off and show how smart they are and, and language or framework X, then yeah. you will get along just fine. Yep. Like I'm, I'm having to turn over some, some projects with reorganizing at work and different groups are being handled different things. And I know I'm going to hand these guys over the stuff and sit down there for a couple of hours and explain to them, yeah, this is how I developed this. Even if you haven't seen my code before or haven't seen this framework I'm using before, no doubt you're going to, going to not have any problem adapting to it. Yeah. All right. We're, we're getting running out of time. Um, if people want to connect with you online, uh, where, where do they go? So, um, I, I'm trying to, to, to bolster my uh, online presence <laughs> these days and it took me kind of a while to get there. Um, but now I actually do, uh, have an, uh, a presence on Twitter and it's basically entirely devoted to, to development, uh, issues. And that's at Mr. M I S T E R. And then my initials, E G C Eric Gerard Critchlow. Um, Got a GitHub repository where I've open sourced a number of things, uh, github.com slash ecrichlow, E-C-R-I-C-H-L-O-W. Um, my website for my personal projects, of which there currently is only one listed, but the others will get back up there again, is infusionsofgrandeur.com, I-N-F-U-S-I-O-N-S-O-F-G-R-A-N-D-E-U-R.com. 
Um, and then on the app store, just look my name up and right now, nothing's out there, but I, I'm, I'm committing that by the time this podcast goes live, a game that I wrote and released over a year ago now called Loot Raider, L-O-O-T, Raider, um, will be back up uh, on the app store and hopefully Giftery, my, my, my pet project baby failure, will be back out there again too. And then of course there is the, uh, the native iOS development series on the clean coders website. So cleancoders.com. Nice. All right. Well, let's, let's do some picks. Hey, Alex, do you have some picks? YNAB, you need a budget. That's a great, great software. It's a service for, well, budgeting. They have a web app, they have a, an iOS app, Android app, I think iPad as well. Uh, no Mac client yet, but I'm hopeful. It's fantastic. They've been around for eight years, if not more. And I use them back in the day. Uh, they were kind of pretty bad at syncing and downloading data from, um, from bank accounts. But these days, they're just flawless, almost flawless. And yeah, I track all of my budgets there. It's fantastic. Highly recommend. Yeah, great app. They're based just down the road from me. So Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw some uh, picks out myself. Um, one of them, and I picked this up on Amazon, and I'm kind of a sucker for the, the journal-style notebooks where you can take uh, notes and stuff. Uh, this one, it's got a Triforce symbol from Zelda on it. Uh, it's a really, really nice journal. Um, and yeah, it's, the, the paper's real nice. It's really well made. And it's Zelda. So, you know, um, so yeah, so I'm able to uh, take notes in it. Um, I tend to keep a couple of different journals. So this one's sort of my uh, personal thoughts and okay, this happened to me today, but I have others where I tend to write down more of kind of the business related stuff. Um, and then, you know, I have another one for the more of the spiritual stuff. So the, you know, my thoughts on, you know, what I'm reading in scriptures or what I learned at church or, you know, things like that. So um, anyway, I, I, I tend to break it up like that, but yeah, I'm really loving this journal. Um, and of course it's got this nice chunk of metal on the front. So um, it's fun. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Eric, do you have some picks for us? <laughs> See, when you say picks and you're in the month of the month of March, the only thing that says to me is NC to a tournament. Those are the uh, only picks that matter this time of year. And uh, this is the happiest time of year. Um, assuming that these things don't get canceled because of the virus outbreak, which some stuff is, um, starting next week, will next Thursday, will be the happiest four days of my entire year. Uh, and, and the only thing I can, you know, taking picks literally, pick against is unfortunately um, my own conference, the Pac-12. You, if you're doing picks and you're listening to this, and of course it won't be until too late, but still, pick against pretty much every team in the Pac-12 because none of us are that good. <laughs> uh, I don't follow college basketball that much, so <laughs> it's it's. But people don't. People who win tournament pools are often the people who don't even follow college basketball. They, the name sounds cool, so they they fill out a sheet and just pick the yeah, name. That sounds the cool. March Madness stuff, yeah. Yes, 
Yes, that everybody and people who don't care about sports can get involved in that and all have fun. My wife and my kids all get cheats and everybody enjoys the competition. Yeah. All right. Well, just this once. Fill out a sheet. <laughs> I should. I probably, I probably, if I win, it's because I don't know not to pick the teams that should win. Exactly. <laughs> That's and I'll give you a leg up on all people who think they know who's going to win. Yeah, fair enough. I've never won a March Madness bracket. We'll just put it that way. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll remind people to go check out the Clean Coders podcast where we uh, had our discussion um, before. And uh, yeah, uh, in the meantime, everybody, Max out. Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.